Welcome to Orchard UMC's podcast. At Orchard, we endeavor to live into our mission of transforming the world by growing in faith, serving others, and sharing Jesus. This morning's scripture, scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Thank you, Deanna. Uh, Before we begin, uh, you may have noticed in the video there was um, agape bags that were being made. The agape bags are uh, a a kit that we put together that if you see people who are um, homeless as you're driving around or if you're wherever you're around, you can grab that bag and you can hand it off to them. If you want one of those agape bags, you can find those in the children's wing on, I lied, on the bench outside the children's wing. Sorry. It's not a good idea to begin your sermon lying to you, so that's not good. All right. (laughs) Well, everyone, uh, with that said, it's that time of the year. It's officially Thanksgiving. It's officially the time that many of us dread because we're going to load up in our cars and we're going to head over to our great aunt's house. And we're going to sit down around the table for a Thanksgiving meal. We're going to start arguing with each other because that's always what happens at family meals. They, they devolve into arguments about, you know, something, right? Most likely politics because we know arguing politics once a year with our family is going to change minds. It always does. There's going to be comments made about how lazy the millennials are, uh, how they don't value hard work like the previous generations when most likely a lot of those millennials aren't there because they're stuck working on Thanksgiving Day in the first place. Most likely the younger folks are going to be there and they're going to say, okay, boomer, once or twice, uh, dismissing the entirety of a generation, ignoring the fact that this generation they deride were once the ones who were at the forefront of the civil rights movement. We're going to watch the Lions lose. We are. We're going to yell and scream at the TV, even though we know it does absolutely nothing. The Lions are going to secure another season of losing while cementing our status as one of the worst sports franchises in the NFL. Yes, Joe, I see you back there. And when the night ends, people are going to go home full. We're going to go home exhausted, and we're going to be dreading next year's Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful mess. The question is, how can something that's so messy be beautiful, though, right? 
Well, because those arguments we may be dreading around the dinner table, well, some wish they had families to be having those arguments with in the first place. And some wish they had that table full of food in the first place. Yeah, I am thankful for those stressful uh, Thanksgiving times, and I'm sure many of you are as well. Um, But we don't have to think about Thanksgiving to think about messes. How many of you were here last Sunday morning at the 9 a.m. service? Yeah, it was kind of a mess, right? It was a messy service. Everything that could go wrong went wrong at that service. Our technology stopped cooperating mainly due to its age, which I'm sure many of us can relate to as our bodies get older. Um, And I was actually here yesterday um, fixing the computer and making surgery on the computer to make it work. Um, I couldn't figure out how to talk last Sunday, so I was stumbling over my words. Um, To put it delicately, it was probably not our finest hour of worship, yet it was okay because I believe that actually drew us closer together in worship because as I started to think about the intent of worship, I thought about why do we come to church in the first place, right? Why do we sing these songs, say these prayers, and follow these traditions? Are we doing these things for us? Is our goal to come here every Sunday and run a polished service where it's perfect so that everything looks like a Broadway production? Linda's shaking her head yes, but the reality is no. It might be for a lot of us. It it might be that our focus is on perfection of the service and That's how we as humans operate, right? We want everything perfect. We want perfection. We want everything just right. Yet church isn't about us. I know it's a shocking thing to say. I'm sorry. It is. But church should not be about how we feel when we leave, which is a difficult thing to hear. We want to go to church because how it makes us feel, right? Often by the end of the service, we leave rejuvenated. We leave recharged. We're in good moods. We feel great. But there are other times at the end of the service we might feel a little bit differently, like, oh, they didn't sing my favorite hymn and now I'm in a bad mood, or the chancel area is missing something that really detracts from my worship experience, or this worship experience was way too long and it wasted my time, I could have been doing something else, or these children were so loud, they were ruining my worship. Uh, uh, Can you think of anything, like, just real quick, are there... Can you think of anything that would detract from worship for you? Shout it out if you can think of anything. No? no, no anything? Cold. Oh, the, 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 yeah, the sanctuary is too cold. Or, you know, there's all these other things that come up, right? What was that? Bunch of whiners. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, we're going to ignore that comment. <laughs> But what is the common denominator in each of those complaints, right? It's me, 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 me. But church is about worshiping God, about worshiping the living God who lives and breathes through each and every one of us. And in the mess of worship, bringing together different voices, bringing together different faces, beliefs, song song style preferences, Wow, and all those things, I am thankful that we're gathered here in this space as one body united in Christ to worship God. And that's pretty awesome, isn't it? That we're in this place, worshiping God with us, who's here even in the messes. 
And when God sees that mess, when God sees the worship service go wrong, I don't think God is going, oh, oh, that's not good. Redo that. I don't think God is displeased. God is honored that we would gather warts and all and praise together as one. Now, our reading from today recognizes the warts. It recognizes the rough edges. And it's no wonder because it's from the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke um, has a different view of Jesus than the other um, Gospels. When, if you look at Mark, Jesus tends to be more of a tragic figure, abandoned by his disciples, but left alone in the end. Um, Matthew, it talks about Jesus as the living authority. You have John, where um, Jesus is the bread of life. Now, here, Jesus is recognized as the compassionate outcasts above all else. Um, some of Jesus' most powerful parables are found here in Luke. For instance, the Good Samaritan, the rich fool, the prodigal son, the rich man and Lazarus, the persistent widow, and the Pharisee and the tax collector. All these things have in common is there is a concern for those who are pushed out from society. It is the Gospel of Luke, actually, that is the first and the only Gospel to use the term Savior for Jesus. I didn't know that. He uses it twice. Now, of course, salvation is used elsewhere in other parts of the Gospel and in Luke, but not specifically the word Savior. It was a surprising thing that I discovered. And it's important to note because Jesus announced salvation for all the people. Yes, the other Gospels show Jesus reaching out to those regardless of social standing, but no other Gospel is quite as empathetic as Luke. Luke is the book that, that says what needs to be said, regardless of how others would perceive it. And this concern is based around a lot of things. It's based around the history of Israel and how God would unfold in redemption in the time to come. And today's scripture mirrors this, and it's done so through actually poetry. And this part, uh, this scripture that we read today is known as Zechariah's song. It's a poem about a son. It's a poem that Zechariah wrote about his son. Now, Zechariah's son was John, as in John the Baptist. And what follows in this song, in this poem, is a prophecy, yes, but I also, I believe, a wish for Zechariah's son. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord and prepare a way for him to give people, his, to give people the knowledge of salvation. John the Baptist was, of course, all of these things in his life. As his name implied, he baptized people into the family of God, a family of faith in God. And he would go on to baptize a pretty important person, don't you think? He would go on to baptize Jesus. Now, when you hear of John the Baptist, you go, man, he was probably put together, right? He was, he was, he was a pretty fine, upstanding citizen. Um, but by today's standards, he is a person you would pass on the street and you'd be like, mm, I'm not going to look at him. He was not the guy that you would probably want to hang out with. Now, here's a description of John from Mark. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his wa waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Yeah, I'm sorry, but if I see someone wearing camel's hair and eating locusts, that's not someone that I'm going to want to be a prophet for me. I don't know about you. If I was up here wearing camel's hair and eating locusts, you probably aren't going to want to listen to me, right? But they listened to him, 
and John helped transform the world, he was messy, he was eccentric, and he brought people to God. It seems rather intentional that Jesus would be baptized by, by a bug eater rather than royalty, doesn't it? Now, we later learn in Acts that Paul learns of many followers who came to Jesus because of John the Baptist. John was vital in the early formation of the church. John was messy, but John was a light. So because of this, I think to myself that our messes, our mistakes, our arguments at family dinners, God redeems and God is present in each and every one of those things, even though they aren't perfect. How can we not be thankful for that? We should not be seeking perfection in this human sense, but should be seeking the perfection we find in living our life as Christ's church out in the world. Zechariah sings for John to bring light to those who sit in darkness. And every day I wish that for my son as well. But I know one thing. We can't give light to those who sit in darkness if we're scared of darkness. Right? We have to acknowledge that our time should not be sent be spent here surrounded by other light at all times because we want to sit on these earthly thrones when we should be on the ground floor. See, I want to be in the muck, everyone. I want to eat locusts and wear camel fur, figuratively, not literally. <laughs> all right? And I want to be in the muck because, you know, that is where Jesus is. Jesus is in that muck. And I want to be where Jesus is, and we need to be where Jesus is because if we aren't, what is the point of our faith? The invisible God is made visible here on this earth. Jesus spent time with those that no one wanted to be associated with, like the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the Samaritans, and women. Oof. He did these acts so that we may know what God wants for each and every one of us. To learn to be thankful that we have an opportunity to dive into the mud. So how do we do that today, right? I don't see many lepers walking down Orchard Lake Road, after all. But you know what I do see? I see our world facing a mental health epidemic that is growing to the point that has literally begun to paralyze our youth. And it's got that way because we've denied light to those who need it the most. We've looked away, instead choosing to ignore the problem and leaving it to others. But we can't do that anymore, because we need to be where Jesus is in the mud and the dirt. I see a nation so paralyzed by fear that instead of talking to each other, we yell through one another. We share Facebook posts that demean and denigrate, that deny humanity and others, all in the name of proving, well, I don't know what they're proving. They're not proving anything. We have forsaken the sight of God and the presence of God in each person we meet. We categorize by faith, by skin color, by wealth, immigrant illegal or legal, and doing so, we have put our trust in earthly thrones. But I don't want earthly thrones. I want to be in the muck with Jesus. And I want each and every one of you to be there with me. I want to be like John, 
who many considered mad because of his views on caring for the poor, the homeless, and the immigrants. I want to be like Jesus, who, with Luke in particular, zeroes in on ministering to women who are considered second-class citizens. Now, who today are considered our second-class citizens? Because that is where we need to be. We need to stop caring for earthly praises or earthly standards. Instead, we need to care for holy standards. We know these are holy standards because it was Jesus, the living God, who said them. Yes, on this Thanksgiving, I am thankful. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for this church. But more than anything, I am thankful for Jesus who taught me to embrace the mess. So embrace the mess, everyone. Be thankful for the mess. Even if the Thanksgiving dinner isn't what you want it to be, go and get dirty. Get in that mess. Go make a mess. Get out of this building. Get out from behind these doors. Go to where the people are. Go to where the light is lacking and brighten it up. Remember the wishes of a father, Zechariah, to his son, John, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Remember those words. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have been enriched by the word proclaimed. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at ministry at orchardumc.org. You can find out more about Orchard by going to our website at www.orchardumc.org.